Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guests on this episode are Mo and Laura Berg. Mo Berg is a musician, songwriter, and producer best known as the frontman for the band The Pursuit of Happiness. Mo's first book, a short story collection called The Green Room, was published by Gutter Press in 2000. Laura Berg is a college professor, professional speaker, and trained therapist. She has been named one of the top 10 mom entrepreneurs, savvy mom of the year, and was awarded YouTube's Silver Play Button. Laura's first book, The Baby Signing Bible, was published by Avery in 2012. Her most recent book, Thriving Life, How to Live Your Best Life No Matter the Cards You're Dealt, was published by Health Communications Incorporated in 2021. In its review of The Green Room, The Globe and Mail said, the stories take the edgy, easy cynicism of Berg's songs and build from it some fascinating glimpses into young urban lives grappling with love and lust, flirting with fame, and confronting the prospect of abject failure. In its review of Thriving Life, the Wisconsin Book Watch says that Laura Berg deftly draws upon her years of experience and expertise to create an ideal DIY instructional guide that is as practical and effective as it is inspired and inspiring. Mo and Laura and I talk about how moving into the publishing world after achieving success in another creative field can open doors, but can also create unrealistic expectations. How unforeseen problems like a breakdown in the distribution chain or, say, a global pandemic can mess up book release plans, and how an unexpected collaboration with their daughter has brought new life to an in-progress book project. A quick audio note, Laura and Moe's cat was present during the recording, so you may hear it jumping around now and then. Animals are always welcome on What Happened Next. So, honestly, most of the time when I do these podcasts with authors, I'm working with people who, you know, are are great in the world of literature and books, but they're not very tech savvy. And especially when it comes to like uh, uh, audio technology, I'm often there's a there's a lot of discussion at the start before we start recording about you know microphone setup about getting a better audio sound. This is probably the first time where I feel uh, like probably my setup is the the more inferior one because <laughs> I'm and I'm working with people who you know like a incredibly successful. Uh, YouTube uh, person and an incredibly successful musician and record producer. So I feel like I have to be the one that's like admits that my setup is very like cheap <laughs> and Sounds quick. Good. And it's not great. 
Okay. Well, that's what I needed. That's all I was we looking for. We have a for. very expensive microphone, so. <laughs> Perfect. I just was looking for some kind of validation here. Um, I also, but I will throw some of that anxiety back on you because I actually came across a quote. I believe it was on Mo's blog from a few years ago where he wrote that uh, podcasts are often only as good as the guests they're interviewing. So I'm feeling like it's now up to you two to make this, actually you three, because there's a cat. Yeah. Uh, it's up to you three to make this a quality episode. We'll do our best. He, Thank he, you. He, <laughs> yeah. he, dug, he dug deep going back a few right. years there. So this is actually the first time I've ever had two people on, uh, two guests on simultaneously. And it's really nice because you've both written books and you are happily married and you're a couple. So I felt like this was a nice way to like bring two people in and i wanted to ask well i'll start with you mo because your book came out um i believe it was 2000 is that when the green room yeah years ago yeah i wanted to ask what the genesis of it was i mean i know i've written i've i've read interviews where you said it really was kind of an extension of what you were doing already in terms of songwriting in terms of the kinds of songs and the kinds of lyrics you were writing, it didn't feel like that much of a leap, but was it something you had been secretly wanting to do for years? Like there was this kind of second thing, the second creative outlet that you wanted or urge that you wanted to itch? Or was it someone saying, Mo, you got to write a book? It was a bit of both. I think that I had in my mind, I, I mean, you know, at the time I was a voracious reader. I read a lot and I always thought it'd be fun to do something like this. And I was just becoming very disenchanted with the music business. And so I thought maybe this would be a good outlet for my creativity. And then, you know, other people would always say that to me. They would say, you know, it'd be, I think if you wrote a book, it would be an interesting book. And so, um, and so I just, I, I don't even know how I came up with the idea to do this, but someone must have, someone must have asked me, but I, I, I wrote a short story and I submitted it to um, a, a, a literary magazine at the time called Blood and Aphorisms. That was I remember that. Yeah. By Sam Hyatt. Yes. And so uh, I, I, I did that. And I'm not sure how, how that even happened. Quite honestly, I can't even remember. Anyway, so once I, I sent it in to be I sent it into to the publisher, Sam contacted me and he said, he said, well, I really like your story. He said, said I, I have a publishing company I want to we should do a book and so I guess that was the kick in the pants I needed like someone actually sort of requesting it and and so then I that's when I set to work on trying to write a bunch more stories it's and nice was, to be wanted I mean, right <laughs> yeah I was gonna say it would be nice if all authors come please write a book for me I, I understand yeah. that sound um that's not normal no no no, no. <laughs> But it was, yeah yeah I, but it was it came at a perfect time in my life when I was just not interested in performing anymore I I'd sort of developed stage fright and I I I just wasn't interested in performing I wasn't interested in music business and I I needed to do something and so it came at a really great time in my life that that disenchantment with the music industry was that from and and that that growing stage fright was that from like uh uh external things happening or was that something in you like you were hitting an age or a, hitting a period where you're like this is this is not me anymore or what where was it more external or more internal 
I guess it was both. I mean, I, I just, the idea, it would just became more and more about trying to sell yourself. And, you know, I felt like I was spending so much time begging people to notice me that it, it just wasn't part of my personality. I, 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 and so I, it just became very kind of unpleasant all the time to have to sort of try and, I mean, I can't imagine what people are going through now that are starting out. They're constantly having to make, you know, TikToks and Instagram posts and YouTube videos and constantly trying to like get their face out there. So that, that was never part of it for me. I always just wanted to make music and I always hoped someone else would take care of selling me. And, and that kind of started to go away in the music business. And that was when it stopped, stopped being fun for me. Right. Did it feel then putting those stories together and, you know, sort of launching yourself as an author in that moment, did that feel a little more comfortable in the sense of like, I could, I'm just putting this thing out there. I don't have to be there to read it to people. I don't have to perform this live in front of people. It's it's in their hands. I've done the work and it's gone. Yes, it did feel that. I, I mean, the, the great thing about writing the book was it was a completely solitary experience. I just sat in front of a computer for a year and just, and then it didn't have, I didn't, you know, that, so I kind of enjoyed that part of it. And also, you know, yeah, exactly what you said. It's not something that I had to constantly be, you know, every day kind of dealing with in terms of like once it, once it, um, once it was published. Yeah. There's no need to sort of showcase it every, every other night or something in front of a crowd of drunken people. Exactly. Right. Um, I'll come back to the question of, you know, your expectations versus reality versus kind of the what happened next question in a second. But I wanted to ask you, Laura, because your first book, I believe, was the baby signing ba uh, Bible. Is that yeah. correct? And that kind of came as an, I believe, as an outgrowth of the work you were already doing with with My Smart Hands. Yeah, yeah. For me, I, I, well, I used to be a teacher and now I'm a teacher again, but before I was a teacher. And so it was always <laughs> like, oh, it'd be so great to be an author, a published author, um, to have that sort of validation. And then when I started my business... I knew that writing a book would make me the authority in that field. And so I thought that was a really um, big next step for my business. So it was the, it was this, it felt like this sort of professional move that there has to be something. This is a way to both encapsulate what you were doing, but also to push it forward. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to become the authority in, in the subject matter. And so I, thought what better way than to to write a book and really when you write a book and you're telling people you know what you're talking about and you know you're telling them that you are the authority it's like this beautiful self-fulfilling prophecy right <laughs> <laughs> a book gives you instant authority like you can't deny that book exists and I wrote it and 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 it's me like no one else did that yeah exactly it really does when when you put together that book was it uh, a simple process of like just taking all the work that you'd been doing and the research you've been doing and some of the sort of, um, you know, some of the notes maybe you had for when you did public appearances and just putting them together? Or did you find like, oh, there's this whole other thing that I need to do because it's a book? Or was it as simple as I've got all the material, I just need to arrange it? Uh, a little bit um, for me, because what I did is I had to put together a proposal. I didn't write the book before I got the book deal. I got the book deal based on the proposal because that's typically what happens with uh, uh, nonfiction books. Right. And um, 
you didn't have Sam Hyatt come and saying, Laura, <laughs> you've got to put well, a book I actually together. I had to put in the work to <laughs> happen for myself. <laughs> um, so it was, you know, I had to, I got an agent and I put together a proposal. And so I had this outline already in place. And yeah, I had done a lot of guest speaking and had written a lot of blog posts. And so I did have a lot of content that I just had to sort of beef up into a book. Um, and then, you know, I did a lot of research into it, which turned out to make me even a bigger authority on the subject matter because right. of all of that. Again, the self-fulfilling prophecy of I am the authority and then I'll go off and make myself the authority on the, on this subject matter. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I know this was never your intention, Laura, with with the um, the whole realm of of communicating with with infants through through sign language but i will say when i learned that what about the work you were doing i had a lot of retrospective guilt <laughs> because i'd already had i have three kids and i sort of like was i not doing something was i not fulfilling something by learning saying sign language and can you were they trying to desperately communicate <laughs> needs to me that i was not aware of i was just trying to keep them alive in those first couple of years for both of you, in terms of the process of both putting together a book and then having it published and then having it out in the world, because you were both coming from these, uh, you know, related, adjacent, creative worlds, but publishing is a very particular kind of industry not to crap on the publishing industry because it's the one I live within, but did you find it, were there frustrations with it related to the other work you were doing? Like specifically, did you find it like, is that, why does this go so slow? Like the book is done. Why is it now eight months before I see this? And then another 18 months before I see this, or was the pro? did you just kind of like go, the process is the process. Well, I had some experience with that because a lot of things in the music business also go slow. So, you know, you write songs, you record a record and, you know, the record has to be, you know, promoted and stuff that, you know, before that record comes out could be from the time you started, you know, writing the songs and rehearsing them to the time it comes out, that could be a year. So I, I was a little bit used to that idea that things don't just happen immediately. Right. Although there is that sense of like, with music, you're, you're again, you were in a space or a headspace where you didn't want to be doing this and you wanted to kind of remove yourself or or kind of diff, distance yourself a little bit from it. But with music, you at least have that sense of, I've written a song, I can go and present it to people and get this instant gratification for it. Sure. Whereas with a book, you're like, I've correct, I've finished this story. Now we'll see in like two or three years if someone writes me an email <laughs> that they really enjoyed it or something. Right, right. Um, Lori, was it this? Was it a similar thing where where you were in this world where things can move quickly or move slowly, but then publishing is just it's on its track and there's no real way to like jump the jump the queue. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very frustrating. You're you're dealing with their timeline. Of course, you you have this baby that you want to share with the world. And then they're telling you, oh, it's going to be out in bookstores in two years from now. And you're thinking, why two years? It's done. Go print it off. Right. <laughs> Get this out there. Yeah, that, I, it is a very frustrating 
experience because it's a hurry up and wait. Yeah. It's hurry up and wait. And then it often, this is something that comes up in this, in this podcast a lot. And it's actually one of the, one of the reasons I started this was it's hurry up and wait. And then it's, you know, you have that like few weeks before the book comes out where things start to build, build, build. And then there's the few weeks after the books come out where it's talking to people and then it's kind of over. Did you find that as well? Was that surprising how quickly the the drop off happens afterwards that it, you know, it gets its own life, but it's not in the world for as long as you expect it to be? Yeah. I mean, I was lucky with my first book because it's it's considered an evergreen book. So it's always, you know, it still sells really well today. And mm -hmm. um, but my second book, yeah, it was sort of that was a weird experience for me because I got my book deal uh, before COVID. And then I'm writing my book during COVID. And because I wanted this book, because I did a lot of guest speaking and I really liked speaking at conferences that dealt with uh, trauma and mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so I was writing a book, it was a self-help book on um, called Thriving Life. And it was all about mental health and wellness. And my idea was I wanted to write this book so that when I went to these conferences, I had something to sell. Um, again, also making me the authority in, in that field. And so all of a sudden the pandemic hit and my book came out and I couldn't have a book party. I couldn't have a book launch party, which I had a big book launch party for my first book. Right. And I couldn't line up any guest speaking engagements. I did a few online, but it's just not the same. And I'm not selling books like you do at conferences. And so that experience was very, very disappointing you know, and it, it just kind of felt like I was so excited for this project. And then COVID happened and it changed the world. And and there's a weird sort of dark irony in that. And 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 that's the that's the experience of a lot of author friends I know who are like, put all this work and all this prep into this thing. And then what's the what's the publication date? March 2020 or, you know, March 2021 and they're like okay that's but there's the dark irony is that the book that you were putting out into the world thriving life the subtitle is how to live your best life no matter the cards you're dealt mm -hmm. and here you are being dealt these completely terrible cards yeah. you know, I mean obviously relative there are people who are dealing with horrible things during that time but you're, you're de literally putting out a book about thriving and during under difficult circumstances and hoping this book thrives under difficult cir circumstances at what point did you sort of see that coming was it were you like a year out and still thinking like maybe things will open up maybe things will open up yeah well it, it actually came when my publishing date uh happened and they set me up to work with a, a publicist and I had a meeting with the publicist and she goes, okay, so what speaking events do you have lined up? And I was like, none, <laughs> zero speaking event. Like, are we not living in the same world here? I'm not <laughs> right. sure what the question is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I felt like, am I failing my publisher? You know, am I failing them by not having all of these speaking events 
lined up. But my vision was was these big in-person conferences that I had been used to attending and really enjoyed and loved because you feed off the energy of the crowd and it's just so inspiring. And I, I love that sort of euphoria you get from being on stage. You don't get it the same way online. It was, it, I yeah, I didn't have anything lined up and I just felt really like I was letting my publisher down almost because of that. There's also a, a odd phenomenon with with online book events or online events of any kind where if you're in a bar or you're in some sort of room, a hall, it's usually dark and you've got the lights in your face and you can't see if anybody's sneaking out the back <laughs> to go get a drink or whatever. But online, you can see that list of names and you can see if the number starts dropping and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they're going. And it's so much easier to say, click. Yeah, I'm, I think I've had enough than to like time your like exit to the bar or something like that. Right. Yeah. Did that give you a, a chance to like, because what some people have been able to do is now when things opened up, kind of presented as new again, like as you start doing uh, public appearances again, as you start getting back out into the world, were you able to say, and there's this new book, even though, you know, ignore the pub date, it's still new. Yeah. The problem I find with that is that when a publisher publishes your book, they're very excited at launch and they're very supportive during that initial stage. And then they just go away because they have other right. books they're working on, you know, and um, it's, it's tricky. I could do that now, but I would be very alone at organizing and, and promoting and doing all that. Like I wouldn't have the same support that I got initially from both publishers. So it's a little bit like you you could do it, but that's that's going to be all on you. It's going to be entirely you, you on your back. You're going to have to like carry those copies into each event. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Going back to to uh, the green room, what were you prepared for? Or did you have any particular expectations or were were people kind of whispering in your ear about what might happen? Well, I think Sam had an idea that my so-called celebrity would help sell the book. I mean, he was a small independent publisher um, and he, you know, he published some titles and stuff like that. But I think he had it in his mind that it was going to, you know, sell some copies. And I guess the the problem was is and is that what my book when my book was released, it was released sort of pr before Christmas. And so it seemed like, wow, this is going to be perfect. I mean, as many books are. And uh, but the who, the people that distributed his his um, his imprint, which was called Gutter Press, uh, um, I guess uh, Indigo slash Chapters were in a fight with them, so they oh, no. of their books. So oh no! It didn't get resolved until long, long after Christmas. So I had no books in any of the major uh, bookstores during the whole Christmas rush. And you could, if you wanted to, go to your favorite chapters and order a copy, but that would be the only way you'd be able to get it. So I, I got, I think I did sell some books. I did end up selling some books, but it, I probably a fraction of what it probably would have had that, that um, that sort of dispute not occurred. Right. And were you aware of this at the time? Like, were it was you so frustrating? I, I was losing my mind at how frustrated I was because I just thought I worked so hard on this and there's kind of an expectation about it. And then it's like, you know, I just never experienced anything like that. It'd just be like, OK, well, you know, 
the biggest re record retailer in the world saying, I'm not going to stock any records from, you know, Sony music over the Christmas rush. I mean, that would destroy people's careers, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, if whether that was a frustration too, not just the timing or the, the, the process, but also the sense of there are these uh, systems in place that you have no control over. There are these relationships in place editor relationships, marketing relationships, distribution relationships, where perhaps in your own realm, you had more of a sense of not fully being in control, but you could actually kind of get your fingers around it. You can get your head around it. Whereas what you're describing there just makes absolutely no sense, makes no business sense, makes no practical sense. It, it, was that some of the, were there frustrations with that too, of like, this whole world is, doesn't make any practical sense anymore. Well, it, 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 and in some ways, it's not that much different from the music business. There's all that, everything that you're talking about is always is happening in the music business too. There's all kinds of relationships and all kinds of politics involved in the music business too. And some of that stuff doesn't make any sense either and seems almost counterintuitive to being successful. So I guess I was used to that to some degree. I just that, I, I don't know if I'd ever hit a brick wall that hard before, you know, with a, with my book that I had in the music business, but you know. And the music business, you know, it's all, you know, a lot of it's perception too. If we don't think we can sell anything, we're just, we're not answering, we're not taking your calls anymore kind of thing. And so right, it's not as a brick wall. It's like a soft brick wall sometimes. Yeah. And you described that as well, Laura, the idea of like your publisher going, okay, where, where are your speaking engagements in the middle of a worldwide pandemic? And, uh, you know, okay, now the book is out. It's been out for two weeks. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, I, I get what Moses is saying because imagine not having your book in bookstores where people can just simply go in and buy it. I, that happened to me. I have a very large audience across North America, and both my books were published with American publishers. And um, they were in some bookstores in major cities, but they weren't available. It wasn't available my second book wasn't as available in bookstores like Barnes and Noble and stuff. Um, and so people would email me and say, Oh, I tried to find your book when I went into the store, but it's not there. And then I talked to my publisher. I said, well, people are trying to buy it. And they said, well, tell them to go to Amazon. And the thing is, is Amazon's great, but not everybody wants to shop on Amazon. So it, then it it's frustrating because is it on me that the sales aren't happening or is it on the availability and I right. get publishers can't necessarily put out a mass amount of books all over the place but it's kind of frustrating as a author you want your book to be accessible or easily accessible yeah it seems to me that's their whole job like, what else? <laughs> yeah. right? the whole thing is like you write the book and we sort of sell it for you and if they are they're unable to sell it like I'm not really sure what their function is in this whole machine right well, I've I've sort of been focusing on the negative, but I want to like talk a little bit about the positive, which is when you first held copies of your first books, was there this sense of what what was the feeling you got from it? Was it just relief at like, oh thank God it it exists, it's real, or was it a sense of like, I did this, like I created this thing. It's me. Yeah, I mean, that was for me. I rem I remember very clearly holding this book and thinking I did this like, <laughs> somebody validated me by putting money into publishing this book and it's mine 
you know, it yeah. has my picture on it, it, has my name on it. I'm an author. It was so exciting. You were you because you already had excitement of of publishing records. Yeah, so. yeah. It was like not quite the same. I certainly understand your excitement. Um, and but yeah, I, because I sort of released things into the world already, it wasn't quite the same. But I, I was still remarkable to see your book and like, wow, it's you know, like I because again, I mean, writing a book was completely nothing that I'd ever done before, so it was a brand new experience. And and you know, definitely moving out of my sort of regular comfort zone and being able to do that and actually getting to the end of it was yeah, it was pretty cool. When you when you launched uh, the green room, did you do did you do like a series of readings were you kind of doing public things with it or i'm sort of wondering if that stage fright extended to like reading as an author making appearances as an author or were you able to kind of separate the two yeah i didn't i did some readings i didn't do tons but i did do some and i found them because they're much more low-key um and I, i felt like they weren't as I didn't feel like I was like in the marketplace like you do sometimes in the music industry. Um, it felt just like I'm just around a bunch of people who like books, you know. Right, right. So it didn't feel like, oh, I have to like impress the cool kids or something, you know. But you did feel nervous in a way because it was a new form of performing for right. you. And, you know, you were concerned about being judged as a professional writer yes you are right that is true I did that 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 pressure was on me to sort of like I mean I think if I were just talking about you know were you scared going up in front of people to read your book it's like I guess not as much I think my overall feeling around around the book was you know are people just thinking well he's got a book out because he was a rock star and this I'm not taking this seriously so yeah that was definitely a pressure I felt um, and, you know, I mean, I, and, and and I should say I'm grateful for that because I sort of reason why I got the book deal was partly because of that. Uh, and also I got a lot of press, like I got tons of press, went with, which was I was also grateful for because it was a story. Here's this guy who was, was a rock guy. Now he's writing a book so that, you know, I, you know, got into the Gold Mail and the Toronto Star and, you know, lots of lots of press. And so that was very helpful to me, even though you couldn't buy the book. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Although I I looked at some of that press and I knew even without, even before I read it, I knew that every single one would, would start with, he's an adult now and he's, he's writing, he's a, he's a writing adult. I'd be like, my God, the, the twisting involved just to get that one line in there somewhere. Um, But yeah, it, it must've opened some doors that might not have been open to another someone else publishing their first collection of short stories sure yeah absolutely you know and even laura laura has worked very very hard to achieve a certain amount of success mm-hmm. open some doors for her too oh 100 yeah. i mean when i got my um my what are they called when the people represent you oh your agent my agent why could i not <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. um when i got my agent and she sent out my proposal in the subject line. It was 10 million views on YouTube. It wasn't a baby sign language book. It right. Was, you know, this person is big enough and YouTube was fairly new. There wasn't a lot of sort of people like me on YouTube. And so the publishers like I, we got a very large deal by, you know, Avery books, which is part of Penguin. 
And it was because of my success already that I had created on YouTube. Right. Well, and and that's just honestly like, that's it's an astounding number. <laughs> that's an astoundingly huge uh, number of of people paying attention to your work and engaging with your work. So I can sort of I can sort of understand why that was their first move of like because okay. those numbers don't exist in the publishing world right. unless you're the Bible or Lord of the Rings or something. That's that's a number that just publishers can't calculate. Uh, so I can, I can, I can, I feel for them for, for, to go with that. I can understand why that would be their first move. I can also imagine that that, that got into their heads in terms of like 10 million people engaging with this content. Well, if we get half of that for this book, that's 5 million <laughs> copies, yeah. you know, that's exactly, exactly. They were seeing big, big money there, but right. <laughs> I mean, obviously it, it was good for me because I didn't have to convince them that people would be interested in the subject matter. It, it, I had proof that people were interested in the subject matter. Right. So they, they, there's a, there's a pre-existing audience for this work, for this, for this material. Yeah, exactly. I have this weird theory about your books, Laura, and and you please tell me if I'm way off with this. Looking at the books, looking at these two books, and then looking at what you've said about the books that you are the book that you are planning and that you are writing, or that you actually have written, and I want to talk about that. It almost feels like though these are deeply researched nonfiction books about the work you do in terms of the, the you know baby sign language in terms of the sort of consulting and therapy they almost feel like uh they track um phases of your life like they they connect with your own life they're almost if you take a step back they're almost like a memoir a, you're building a memoir within this within these nonfiction books because baby sign language that makes sense when you have two babies and that's your that's your life is communicating with two babies and then thriving life you've written about that came from uh working through issues with with uh your daughter and then you've now been talking i've said read some interviews about a novel that you're writing mm -hmm. uh can you talk about it at all or or yeah yeah where so where it stands well it's done and um, we, I hired an editor to edit it. That's the one thing I learned that it's good. You know, people think, well, I'm going to write this and I'm going to send it off to publishers and without putting in their own money to really polish it. And by working with agents, I really realized the importance of investing in polishing your work before you submit it for publication because then you will increase that chance of of um I actually think we use the same publisher or the same editor Shannon oh yes we did Shannon Wibbs yes yeah. yeah oh there you go yeah so I hired her to to go through it for me which is really great because um having a professional set of eyes and and also she's not afraid to tell me that you know this chapter sucks and she does it in the most the kind way possible but when I give it to my husband he's like yeah this is great you know and um so I had this idea of writing a uh it's a fiction book and I had this idea for a story that I thought would be a very interesting sort of mystery story 
um, where the this adoptee, so I'm adopted, where this adoptee wants her perfect, um, wants to reconnect with her birth family, but they don't want anything to do with her because the birth mother, it's all the birth mother's fault. And so I thought it would be good. At one point, my birth brother had said to me, you know, if my mom dies before my dad, I'll introduce you to my dad because he felt that it was um, that he, she was the problem. And so I thought it would be really interesting to write a story where, you know, she kills her birth mother so she can get her happily ever after with mm -hmm. her family. Don't give away too much. No, no, yeah. well, I, <laughs> I won't definitely because I couldn't write that story because then people wouldn't root for her as the main character. Mm, so okay. years of kind of, I really wanted to write some sort of story about this topic, but um, it took me years to finally figure out how I was going to do it so that you would still cheer for the main character. Um, and I started writing it. And I, I did a, my master's, I went to, back to school to do my master's. And a part of my master's was, this was the creative project was writing this book. I wrote it and then I realized I am not a very good uh, creative writer. I'm a really good writer, but I'm not, I, I can't paint these beautiful pictures with my words, but my daughter is an amazing writer, which is funny because she's in sciences, but she she's just this beautiful writer so I said to her do you want to do this with me because she edited a chapter for me and it was fantastic like she just polished it so beautifully so I said do you want to do this as a a co-authorship and she said yeah that would be great so we've been working on it for I guess it's been probably almost two years now and she took and rewrote I'd say at least at least half of it and um yeah it's just gotten to the point where it's it's pretty close to being done where we're gonna start shopping it around to see if we can get it published oh that's amazing i didn't realize that collaboration was happening that's fantastic oh, yeah. yeah that's a beautiful and it's an interesting collaboration because the story is about mother-daughter relationships and it's about um you know powerful women or the relationships that women have and then i'm doing this project with my daughter so it's kind of this really neat story of how it it came into the world and and mo i have to ask the question because this is it's the name of the the podcast uh green room came out it did have some success it got some attention uh it had that weird block with the stupid distributor and the uh sales and so forth but there was not a follow-up so did you write work on something and find it's just not where I want it to be or did you become as disillusioned with publishing <laughs> as you were with songwriting or did you read was it rediscovering a love of music and and performing there that kind of that sort of drew you out of it well I did try to write a second book and I was trying to write a novel and I worked on it for quite a while like I'd say at least a good year I worked on it uh, like daily I worked on it and um and I just I, I I think it was just too ambitious of a project for me I think I looking back I thought well if I did want to write another book I probably should have maybe tried to write some more stories and I did write some more stories afterwards um and some of which were published and, and I do uh, remember seeing I, that's why I was that's sort of why I'm wondering because I do remember seeing stories appear uh well after Green Room came out Right. And so I think that was maybe more my thing. Like uh, maybe I should have been, I, I've, I, and, but, the, you know, I just thought the natural 
evolution was to write a novel after you've written your book of short stories and many authors have done that sort of mm -hmm. follow that trajectory and so but I, but i just the the novel itself was just too ambitious and so i could never really i could just i just didn't and i had never taken creative writing I, I didn't even go to university so a lot of the sort of mechanics of it were sort of uh, you know beyond me so i mean i was in, enjoying doing it and i was kind of amused by the story um but and then uh, then my music career started to like my public my, sorry my producing career started to flourish a bit i started to get more involved in that and then we had kids and then and then you know all you, you know of, how it goes they ruin everything up and then i kind of just eventually sort of abandoned it you know i just it just didn't seem like it was something that i was going to it was it was taking up all my time and I just didn't have I didn't have that anymore I felt like I needed to concentrate on the good things that were happening to me in music and you know right everything. have you have you revisited it at all in the years since have you looked sort of taken it out of the drawer and said is there anything here is there not really no no I haven't I barely ever even thought about it like I think really I door on that I just I just thought this isn't going to happen wow um and I wonder too, with Laura, with the with the, have you ever gone back to the, the drafts of the novel that you were, you know, when it was just yours before you brought in your daughter to collaborate? Have you looked at those and, and and if you have, do you see, what has changed and what Freeze brought to it in terms of like, what that step that you couldn't make and that that needed a collaborator to kind of push it over because you said. Yeah. You're a really good writer. You know about writing. You know how to construct prose and put things together. But there there seemed to be one step that you couldn't take. Yeah, my writing was just very flat. And her writing is just very, like, musical. It's beautiful, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I did. I actually I looked at one of my old drafts before she came into the project. And I was just thinking, what was I thinking? This would, this would never see the light of day. Because it's, who would want to read it? it? It really... It was just flat. It's an interesting story, but you really sometimes need somebody who can take it and paint a picture of the scene. You know, it's so vivid. And she right. the, this way of describing things that I just, I couldn't do myself. So right. yeah, collaborating with her has been a really fun experience. You'll have to have us back on and have her because when, when that book gets published, because it was a really interesting experience working together on this one book. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to have to pre-book Faris for, uh, for a future <laughs> episode. And she can tell me about, you know, all the frustrations of trying to collaborate with her mom. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, it was it was fantastic. It was, yeah. Maybe well, she in, that, though. <laughs> <laughs> she'll be on to like three other projects and completely other realms and be like oh yeah I wrote a book whatever exactly in terms of the afterlife of books uh I do have to say that um I looked I looked on Amazon on the dreaded Amazon and they have a copy the only copy they have of Green Room is being sold currently for 102 dollars <laughs> so it's it's worth over a hundred dollars it's, there's also a great review from the U.S. There's a, an American reader uh, has put a review on there, um, and it's one word, good. So <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, again, these books, you put so much of your heart and soul and so much effort and so much sweat and so much time in it. 
it goes out in the world. And then, you know, 20 or so years later, you have this American, random American reader go, yeah, good, good. <laughs> it's good. But he enjoyed it. Even yeah. only of that, even that, just that little amount, he enjoyed it. That's no fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.